0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 22nd, 2020, we conclude our series titled, The Ideal, A Study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Team, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Enjoy. As a kid, uh, growing up in Los Angeles, uh, my dad was a uh, fantastic sports fanatic, right? Um, so we went to everything, right? Uh, my family had season tickets to the Lakers. We had season tickets to the Los Angeles Rams, you know, back when they were the Rams and then they weren't, and then back when they are the Rams again. And we had uh, season tickets to the Dodgers. And so spent most of my youth, most of my childhood growing up, going to Dodger games and uh, enjoying attending and and seeing Dodger games. It probably was the most memorable event of that was probably in 1988, and I was in my early to mid-20s, and I was at the World Series. And it was that moment, right, where you have, uh, I believe it was the bottom ninth, don't quote me on that, because unlike my dad, I'm not a sports fanatic, I don't keep a lot of worthless trivia in my head, um, and I find it awkward at parties and events to talk about the weather and sports, right? Um, I just don't have that, it doesn't, it's not what drives me. But in that day, I was a Dodger. And as a Dodger, I was watching this game, and it was, of course, you know, towards the end of the game, and uh, the Dodgers were down by one, and of course, they'd already gotten a man on the first base, so the tying run is at first. And uh, Tommy Lasorda calls up uh, Kirk Gibson, a very injured Kirk Gibson. And that famous moment, right, where he comes up and it works it all the way, um, longest at bat, it's just like it wouldn't end. And then it gets a a three and two count. And you see uh, Kirk Gibson back out of the box at the last minute. And as he will tell the story, he says that at that moment, right, he was recalling what Tommy Lasorda had told him and the other guys that when this guy, uh, Dennis Eckersley, when he gets in a three and two count, there's a, whatever it is, an 87 or a 92.2% chance that he's coming with this pitch. And so he's just trying to recall, what was it? And he's like, ah, he's got it. He steps back in, right, and bang, right field home run for the win, and the crowd erupts. It's just one of those moments, right, when you're, when you're there, you're not watching it on TV, right? Even to this day, I don't watch sports. I don't, I haven't, I'm proud to say, I haven't even seen a Super Bowl in 28 years, right? Because I just don't care, to be honest with you, right? But I'm watching this, and I can relive that moment and the euphoria, the, the excitement of that. Even going to another game uh, where the pitcher, Oral Hershiser, uh rarely, you know, you have a pitcher get up a bat, but Oral Hershiser of all people, got up to bat and hit a, uh, and had a base hit, right? And the fans just going crazy. It's incredible to be a part of that team moment, right? And of course, it's why the Dodgers are, in fact, the ideal team. (laughs) Yes. Yes, there they are. This year's world champions. And I'm so excited that people booed, right? Because it's my point. Teams have a tendency to divide, not unite. We're living this today, are we not? People that are upset because their team didn't win the presidency. It's difficult we start to wrestle with our team losses because we're so devoted and dedicated to our team and clearly as much as i want to point to the dodgers the dodgers are not the ideal team but what paul's going to do here today is he's going to define and describe for us what the ideal team looks like what does the ideal team do what must it look at what must it reflect on Paul, in this closing, is in fact inserting a group photograph. His final greeting is he's going to go through a list of people, and he's going to put this group photograph into this letter to cap it off. And there's significance to it. Don't think for just one second, right? If you read the text in Colossians 4, that's where we're going to be today, uh, closing it out from 7 to the end, that Paul is just giving this list of names that aren't significant. We're going to look at the significance of that today. It's the opportunity that we're going to be looking at. The opportunity for us to be available. The ideal team is available, not only for prayer, but for Thanksgiving. We need to make ourselves available. In fact, this week is Thanksgiving. For many of us, I think you need to take a look around and realize, if you don't know who they are, we have people, even in our own congregation, people who are alone, people who don't have family here, And maybe if you want to contact me or contact the church, I can provide you a list of some people that would really love to have a place to enjoy family and friends for this year's Thanksgivings. But the availability is also to proclaim Christ. Paul's going to refer to it as to fulfill the ministry that has been given to you. Paul ultimately signs this letter and then puts the group photo in. People that helped him while he was in prison in Rome And he did this in order to encourage the church, specifically at Colossae, and one could argue even the church here at Highlands. This letter has been circling for over 2,000 years. And he's going to give us a brief overview of each person. It ultimately reveals the personality of Paul, the character and the content of his heart, that he is not only a deep lover of Christ, but he is a lover of the people that are part of the team. Giving you just a little bit of background on the New Testament and Colossians and where it takes place. If you look at this time chart, you realize this is what the church at Colossae understands to be the New Testament at this moment in time. What they're seeing is that they have the book of James, First and 2 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, Romans, which was written around 57 or 58 AD. And what we'll see coming up in 62 to 63 is Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, and even the Gospel of Luke. We, of course, on this side of these moments have all 27 books of the New Testament to examine, to read, to study, to grow in grace, and to grow in a greater understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But generally speaking, Paul, like many of the people that wrote letters and or wrote books of the Bible used a secretary, used a scribe. And then in this particular letter, he's going to authenticate it by using and writing his name in his own hand. Paul ultimately requests two things. He says, those who read or heard his letter would pray for him in his house arrest in Rome. And the second aspect that he wants to point to is that God would open doors for his word, for God's word, so that he will declare the mystery of the gospel of grace. It's incredible, the mystery of the gospel of grace in God's design requires you and me to be vessels that communicate the very word of God, whether we give it to them in writing through the Bible itself, or whether we preach the word of God to them, or we show them the word of God. Of course, Paul says, grace be with you in uh, chapter 1, verse 2 of Colossians. But I want to remind us all again, to whom is Paul writing this letter? Paul is writing this letter to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. If you don't mind, turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 7 and forward. But let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take it and apply it to our everyday life. Lord, that we would recognize who we are as ministers of your gospel, servants of your word. Lord most of all that we would magnify and glorify you it's in Christ's name we pray amen starting in Colossians 4 verse 7 Tychicus will tell you all about my activities he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart's And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice, And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brother at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now that's a picture. It's a picture that at first glance just seems like it's a whole list of people. And how in the world does this have significance or meaning to it? Paul is ultimately going to leave us with two points. If you're using our app and you're online and looking at that, there's only two points today. And the two points, though, are possibly going to be life-changing Life changing, and that the Word of God is calling you specifically to something incredible here. As He does the final greeting and He summarizes the entire letter, we start to realize that point one is this the letters, especially Colossians in this case, are to be shared as truth. The letters are to be shared as truth. He says, give my greetings to the brother at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And he says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying in his final words, he's saying, greet the brother at Laodicea. And incidentally, of course, the letter was going to Colossae. So what he just said is kind of this drive-by. Say hi to everybody at Laodicea and Nympha and the church that is in her house. He's wanting to give those greetings. Greet the brethren. Greet the brothers in Laodicea and the church in Laodicea that met in the house of Nympha. It's interesting that the churches in those days met in homes. Sometimes I think it might be a good idea for us to revisit that model. In fact, in homes, it forces this smaller, more intimate, greater accountability, greater responsibility for the fullness of the body to serve one another. Mainly due to um, uh, media's uh, fear and theories of pending doom and the apocalypse that's going on right now, it might be ideal for us to look at how we can meet in churches, church homes. In fact, our church ministry here in small groups does just that. It's interesting that the third century was when the church started to actually build buildings. So from the first century church through to the third, they met in homes. So what he's saying here is say hi to everybody when this letter is read among you. And that's the way, of course, that they did it. It's good insight into how the epistles were dealt with and how they were ultimately read publicly. He says, also read the church of the Laodiceans. And then watch this. He says, and that you also read the letter from Laodicea. What we start to see is the circular design of God's word. That this word would go out and it would come to a group of people and they would read this and then read it publicly and someone would in fact write down every word in it because they didn't have a copy machine. They couldn't even fax it with that technology. It had to be rewritten so that it could be distributed to other churches, home churches all over the place. You could say that even the book of Colossians, the letter to the church at Colossae, has been wandering for 2,000 years. And in these last weeks and months, it just showed up at Highlands. Of course, it's been there in print for a while, but we've gone through it and we've read it publicly. We've gone through every single word of it and taught it because it is, in fact, the Word of God. Paul closes this with a salutation by his own hand. He says, I'm writing in my own name. I'm authenticating this as inspired by God, as the team manager, as the, as the chief leader that is on earth and who submits himself to the team owner, the team manager, Jesus Christ himself. He's telling us to remember his chains. We should, as a good practice, always remember our leaders. Remember the people who are laboring on behalf. We may not see them in the trenches, but trust me, they're here late at night having elder meetings. They're here planning and strategizing, assuring and trying to make sure that we are following God's word, that we are above reproach with God's word. For we as a body, as a body of leaders and elders, we do not serve man. We serve Jesus Christ. And sometimes people call into question. These people can be encouraging and helpful, but many of them are simply Monday morning quarterbacks. But I would call on you to remember the leaders and the leadership. But he's saying to us, remember my change. Don't forget me. Just because things are going great and things are successful doesn't mean that it isn't hard. Today, your objective as we go through these names is maybe you can identify with one of these people. Because these people aren't well known people. They're not necessarily people that everyone walks around and saying, Yeah, I know exactly who that is. But we're supposed to look at them. The first character is Tychicus. Obviously, not famous because I don't see a lot of kids running around with the name Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Listen to the adjectives here. He is a beloved brother. He is a faithful minister. He is a fellow servant. Thomas last week talked about that we're all in fact evangelists. Tychicus is an evangelist. He's a faithful servant. He's a minister of God's word. When it says minister, it's not talking about his vocation. It's talking about that he's a servant of Christ. In those notes that you can find on the app, I've given you other verses or other scripture areas where you can find the same character appear in Acts 20, Ephesians 6, 2 Timothy 4, or Titus 3. The second character is Onesimus. We see in verse 9 it says, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. What he's saying is that he's a Gentile. There, of course, will tell you everything. If you look at the other passages in Philemon 1.8 and Philemon one you you'll find that Onesimus is a bondservant. Paul is going to request Philemon to release him, to set him free. And if he won't do that, then he, Paul, will pay his debt so that he is free, unencumbered to share the gospel everywhere that he would go. Many of us are like bond servants because we've overextended maybe our credit, our home, our car, or whatever it may be, and it's distracting us from the ministry that God has in fact called you to do. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Aristarchus, man, he is this guy who gave everything to follow and to proclaim Christ. Aristarchus would go on to be martyred. He'll be killed by Nero. You remember that character, Nero? This wicked emperor? This guy who God appointed and put in power? This guy who, in 1 Peter 2.17, we're told to honor the emperor. Imagine the command, honor the guy who's killing Christians for sport honor him. You see, we live in a world where it's incredibly difficult these days, and leaders have to make decisions. And rather than grumbling over whether you should or should not wear a mask, let's make sure whatever you do, you do it to the honor of the emperor. That's a difficult thing to swallow, but it's a lot easier than having a leader and an emperor who's killing our people for fun. But honor them nonetheless. John Mark, cousin to Barnabas. Just a few short years from now, Mark and Barnabas will abandon the ministry and the evangelism efforts of Paul. He will gain a term called Mark the Quitter or Mark the Failure or Mark the Fearful because he pursued other things. He went off with Barnabas, ultimately to circle back and to rejoin the team. Maybe some of us have had that in our life where we feel like, man, I just haven't been that dedicated, that following of Jesus Christ. I haven't been that involved with the church and I've kind of quit. Well, be like Mark, just circle back because Mark is, of course, in about, I don't know, three short years is going to write the gospel of Mark. You can see all kinds of words about him. Justice or Jesus, who we call justice. He's one of the only men of the circumcision. In other words, he's a Jew. He is devoutly faithful. He is a follower of Christ. He helps pay for his ministry by holding down a job and working. A lot like Paul, who is a tent builder so that he can do ministry. Oftentimes we have to figure out are we living to work or working to live? Epaphras who is one of you also a Gentile Epaphras is a prayer warrior he's a faithful minister he loves Christ he's also the founder of the church at Colossae no hero's name there or the doctor beloved physician Luke he's a compassionate caregiver as many of you are Nurses and doctors and dentists and the not. You bring compassion and care through the skills that God has given you. I would argue that that is not as much a vocation as it is a calling from God himself. In fact, you know what Paul's doing here is he's calling out people who are serving Christ. Not for their own, necessarily their betterment, but for the purpose of exalting and proclaiming Christ. As are some of you. When I sit there and I look out here and I I look around and I see all these faces and these people who serve so greatly. David Benner, thank you, brother, for all you do making sure so many people are cared for in Asia, right? That isn't a Highlands church thing. That's a David Benner acting upon the call that God has put upon his life to genuinely care for the people that God is entrusting you in your ministry. Thank you. Brian and Edwina, thank you for what you do with our youth. It's incredible. When you're, when you're as young and happy as a couple with two young kids, right, uh, the last thing you want to do is go hang out with more kids. But you do it. Jill and I, for, for the last 28 years of our marriage, right, we've done houseboat ministries, whether here or other churches or other places. It's always been that our kids, from the time they were born, it's crazy to have an infant with 150 kids on houseboats while your kid's crying in the middle of the night because you're only there because you're there to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There are countless people who sacrifice countless hours to make sure that we are above reproach and that we're sharing the good news of the gospel to hold all of us accountable to the word, to the truth. Dan Clough, thank you, brother, for what you do as an elder, as the chairman of the board of our elders the sacrifice that comes in with that and then we get to this person it's weird <laughs> in luke he says he says to luke he says luke the beloved physician greets you and then he throws out this term right here at the end there's no adjective to describe this guy nothing he just says oh and demas too as does demas demas says it? who's this demas guy We're going to see in about 3 short years Demas in 2 Timothy 4:10 is in love with the present world and he has deserted me Paul says and gone on to Thessalonica to pursue the world. Demas is a consumer. Demas just kind of comes in and out of church at his convenience. He comes in on irregular times. He shows up. He'll show up and nail some nails to build a home down in Rocky Point. He'll show up to serve the poor down at the mission field. He'll show up at these events and he'll be a participant here in the stands. But he is not a part of the team. Demas is not a part of the team. Nympha, she holds a church in her home. She sacrifices her own belongings to minister to the people. And if you haven't identified with any of those, there's archipopos. This applies to everyone who proclaims Christ as their Savior. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Do you realize that? Every person who proclaims Christ in this room is in fact called to ministry. To serve and to fulfill not just the ministry that Jeff and other elders and pastors come and give you, but to fulfill the ministry that God has put upon your heart, the gifting that He's given you. I can tell you right now that in our family ministries, we are short a serious amount of people just to love with the gospel the children in the children's building. I can tell you that we can always use someone to be a greeter at the door. I can tell you that we need people who can cut donuts whenever we get to finally go back to donuts. I can tell you we need you in student ministries. But here's what I'm interested in what's the ministry that God's put upon your heart? What's the ministry that He's called you to? You see, this picture is the Paulinian Evangelistic Association. It's in fact headquarters in jail at Rome. It's a great bunch of people with incredible amounts of faith. But faith in what? You see, Paul is closing this letter off, and here's the faith in what? He wants you to recognize, to know, to understand, to either recognize or do something. Here it is. Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Jesus, he needs you to recognize that Jesus is creator and sustainer. He's not only the author, he's the perfecter of your faith. He didn't invest in you and call you unto himself to sit as a participant in the stands. He called you to be part of the team. And to recognize him. Your ministry, as Paul says, to fulfill your ministry is to proclaim Jesus Christ, whether that is out loud or in your acts of service. You're to proclaim Christ. Recognize that you were once dead in your trespasses and now you've been made alive in Christ. Recognize that the old you is gone. You're now dedicated to the following of Jesus Christ and to the ministry that he's put before you. And you need to dwell in the word of God richly. This dwelling aspect, right? If you were making an incredible steak or an incredible meal, you would probably maybe marinate that steak. You need to marinate yourself in the word of God so that it's everything. It's permeated everything. Everything so that you see Christ in everything. He told us about the family expectations. You see, in the family expectations, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's the calling. And the whole family comes with you. That's why my kids grew up going to camps. Not because I wanted to send them to camp. They weren't even qualified to go to the camps. They're at the camp because they're my kids. Because I can't leave them at home alone. And the gospel became available hundreds and hundreds of times. It doesn't matter whether they become saved or not. What matters is that there's faithfulness to continually to point them to the word and to the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. But we preach the word. The family expectations that Thomas laid out before you Listen, men, husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You realize that your marriage hinges on you. You're the one that's going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how your marriage went. And did you love her in sacrificial love? Did you deny yourself so that she could be? Did you see her as holy and blameless? And here's the one that all men hate because they want to point to her submission. But what he's going to command you to do is that Jesus Christ did not come to this world to be served, but to serve. Men, this is your job so that she can do hers to respect you. But if you don't love her the way that Christ loves the church, you're making her job incredibly difficult. You're only going to get there if you devote yourself to prayer and then outwardly to live wisely to speak salty to be winsome among outsiders people who aren't on the team so what's the point in his final greeting his point is this point number 2 do your job he's just simply saying just do your job He said to Archippus, right, in verse 17, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Man, when I read that, it just wants to knock me out of a chair. Paul just put the whole pile of illustrations of people on our neck. And he's saying fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord you know why because Tychicus has Onesimus has Aristarchus has Mark has Jesus who we call justice has Epaphras has do you hear the common denominator each of these people are available to do ministry to proclaim Christ you know what I hear from people all the time not until my kids are grown you know, it's real tough because we have real busy schedules. Crimea river. We all have busy schedules. Do your job. Well, I can't do it until we've saved enough money. Do your job. I'm real busy with work, the kids, and club sports. You know how that goes, Jeff. Yeah, I know exactly how that goes. I raised four kids and shared the gospel. Do your job. Oh, no, I'm waiting until I retire, and then I'm going to go into ministry full time. One of my favorites. Do your job. All of these answers that I just gave you, they're all Demas answers. Lovers of the world, not lovers of Christ. So let me ask you this. Are you available to faithfully minister? Are you? Because that's the exhortation today. That's the call that Paul is telling you to do something. Paul showed you a portrait of church people and all but one was faithful. And it all comes down to this. You've been given a ministry. God knows what it is. You received it. And in the Lord, it's a divine thing. Now you must fulfill it. It's a weird thing, church, right? People lose their volition of will when they walk in these doors. You know how I know that people lose their volition and will because they come to me after the service and say, hey Jeff, Brendan and Tim, they forgot to tell us to sit down during one of the things and I was standing for a long time, my my legs hurt, my lower back is killing me. Sit down! No one is commanding you to stand. Sit down. Hey Jeff, you know, can you work with the guys, the drums were really loud today. Worship's not about you. Worship's all about Him. So let me ask you are you available to faithfully minister the Word of God? Are you in Team World or are you on Team Jesus? You see, in 1988, as I sat in those stands and watched the Dodgers have that Kirk Gibson moment, I was merely a spectator not part of the team. My question today is, are you a spectator? Or are you on this team? Are you a consumer waiting to be entertained? Or are you ready to get up and do your job to proclaim Christ are you like Tychicus, a faithful evangelist? Are you like Onesimus, a bondservant that needs to get rid of his debt and sacrifice so that he can come to more ministry? Are you Aristicus, you're ready to give it all and be a martyr for him? Are you John Mark? Are you gifted with the gift of encouragement? Are you justice and devoted to ministry? Are you Epiphras and you're a prayer warrior? Are you Luke, a beloved caregiver, who could be used visiting some of our widows and our shut-ins at this church? who don't have the money to go to a doctor? Should you be opening your home to a small group? But if you proclaim Jesus Christ, you are all archipelists. You're called to ministry. And like Paul, you're called to pray for your leaders. Do your job. Today we look at a picture that's 2,000 years old. My question is 2,000 years from now, in the year 4020, will people be sitting in a room like this knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ because you were a part of the picture? Because everyone here today is a part of the picture of these people who were faithful to proclaim Christ because you too came to hearing the word of God. Now, as I call the band forward, right, and we're going to finish off... I want to give you an opportunity, two ways, right? You can use the connect cards that are in front of you. And I want you to just simply, this is here. This is going to come straight to me. I want you to write on there, your name, your cell phone, your email. And I want you to write team Jesus, just telling me you're in. Because then I want to meet with you or one of the pastors or the elders want to meet with you and hear what the mission field is that God put upon your heart, because I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to charge you and you're going to go and do it. Do your job. Or you can text it, if that's easier for you. Text TEAM JESUS to 94000, 9400, and text that to us. I don't care how old you are. Students, do your job. Middle-aged people, do your job. Old people, do your job. This is the call of Christ, and we won't stop until the ideal team is 100% of this body serving 100% of this body. May God be glorified. And may we all grow in his grace. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, God has called you higher. God is calling you deeper. As we close down this book in Colossians, go proclaim Christ. Let me help you. Let the elders, let the pastors come alongside you and help you and charge you. It's time to get out of the spectator seats. It's time to engage. Let us engage you and let us empower you. The gospel, you don't need any more authority than the person of Jesus Christ who said under his authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's time to join the team. Let me know you're out there. Our Father and our God, Lord, thank you for your truth, for your word. Thank you for this study through Colossians. I pray, Lord, that we would grow greatly in your grace and a much greater understanding of your Son. May we proclaim you in all that we say and all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.